You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So we've been studying uh, in preparation for Daniel chapter 7. Um, some ways of looking at the future and being able to understand the beginning from the end and all that is in the middle. <clears throat> and we're, um, I've been giving this, I'll never give you a disclaimer about the gospel. The gospel is the gospel and it offends most of the universe except for the children of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. It does not offend them, but that's a very narrow group. Everybody else is offended by it. So be it. But when we're talking about eschatology, about the, the, uh, the theology of future things, there's a number of different ways to line it all up. I believe there are some that are better than others. But there's, uh, we're going to talk this morning about the key differences between dispensationalism and covenant theology. And I'm going to do my best to properly represent covenant theology. Um, first and foremost, it's important to note that both dispensationalists and covenant theologians believe that salvation is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men are called to be saved. None. There is no disagreement on the core fundamentals of Christianity, the, the, the uh, do-or-die doctrines. Assuming that one adheres to these core principles... Both dispensationalists and covenantal, covenantalists are born-again, Bible-believing Christians. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not talking about... We're talking about differences of opinion on how to line up the future. Similarly, well, let me, let me back up. So we're, we're looking at the differences of how to line up the future. Covenant theologians are brothers in Christ. And there is no... Give and take. There's no better than, worse than. It's just that dispensationalists, of course, believe their method is a, a better one to hang the future ideals on. Second, the issue of dispensations is not a fundamental difference. Both dispensationalists and covenantal, covenantalists, have I invented a word? <laughs> Agree that God has worked in different times and in different ways throughout history, although salvation has always been by grace through faith. Now, I'm going to pound that peg all the way through this because it is so important. It is so important. There's those who believe that salvation is by works. There's those who believe salvation is by, you name all the different methods. It's by grace through faith alone. And both covenantalists and dispensationalists believe that. Differences will be noted in the criteria of a dispensation or on how many times, how many there are, but not on the fact that there are different historical time periods in Christian history, in in the history of the world, I should say. It's not just Christian history. Similarly, the covenants of covenant theology are not what is most significant to them. Covenantalists believe in essentially three covenants. And are we live, as they say? Cool. Okay, we're on... uh, We're on C. Vitamin C. There we go. Covenantalists essentially believe in three covenants. The covenant of redemption, 
the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. And now there are there are differences in among the group as to how those all line up, and we're not going to get into all the differences because we would be here for seventy weeks just for ooh seventy weeks. That's a significant number. Just working on that. So there are differences within the theology, covenant theology camp as to what the covenant should be called, but this is a general outline of the main points of covenant theology. The two matters that lie at the heart of the differences between dispensationalism and covenantalism are hermeneutics and storyline. Those are the two primary, those are the two important distinctions. So let's start with hermeneutics. Dispensationalism holds to a consistent historical grammatical or literal hermeneutic applied to all areas of Scripture, including eschatology and Old Testament passages related to national Israel. Now, when the, when the Psalms say that even the rocks cry out, we understand that that is uh, metaphorical language, that that is uh, picturesque language. That's not what I'm talking about. But dispensationalists attempt to hold to a complete um, grammatical historical grammatical hermeneutic in all areas as much as is possible. So this would include a literal understanding of anything concerning Israel's land, the temple, and Jerusalem, etc. We would look at that literally. Dispensationalism believes that all the details of the Old Testament prophecies, promises, and covenants must be fulfilled in the way the the original inspired Bible authors intended. (laughs) There are no non-literal or spiritual fulfillment of physical and national promises in the Bible. Nor does the New Testament reinterpret, transcend, transform, or spiritualize promises and prophecies in the Old Testament. With dispensationalism, what you see is what you get in the Bible. There is no underlying typological trajectory or canonical progression that erases or transcends the covenants, excuse me, or transcends the details, and I've lost my place, the Bible storyline with the significance of the details of the covenants and promises in the Bible. Historical grammatical hermeneutics will discover types in the Bible, but the concept of typological interpretation that overrides the plain meaning of Bible text is not accepted in dispensationalism. There are types. Adam was a type of Christ. Israel, in some respects, was a type of the church, but not the kind of type that results in an anti-type. So there's, those are the distinctions that you will see. Although areas like the Mosaic laws are shadow of grace, greater new covenant realities, uh, we, we saw that in Hebrews 10.1, dispensationalists do not believe that everything in the Old Testament is a shadow. Matters associated with the covenants of promise, including Israel, Israel's land, the temple, Jerusalem, nations, restoration of creation, etc., are not shadows. Promises concerning these matters must be fulfilled as predicted. You can see that in Matthew 15, 18. All of this occurs because of Jesus the Messiah, who brings God's promises to fulfillment. Do I have those scriptures up there? Okay, so that is number three. <clears throat> and we see that in 2 Corinthians 1.20 and Ephesians 1.10. So... The promises that were made to Israel that are unconditional hinge on that word, unconditional. They're promises that God will fulfill, literally. If they weren't fulfilled in the first coming, they will be fulfilled in the second coming or after. That is how it works. That is how we believe it works. Dispensationalists also holds to passage priority in which the primary meaning of a passage is found in the passage at hand and not in other passages. God wrote the book starting with Job. 
actually in our Bibles it's Genesis, but the oldest book is Job. We start when, 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 now there are some of you who when you read a murder mystery, I know you read the last page. That is so uncool. I can't do that. The, the OCD in me just won't let me. It's just, I gotta not know. I gotta try and figure it out myself. And I'm always wrong, but <laughs> it's okay to read the last page in the scriptures with the understanding that he started clear over here. The Bible started here. You read it and, and everyone should as much as possible read through the scriptures once a year, once every two years, something like that. It's a wonderful journey. And it's one of those books. It's the book that as you read through it again and again and again, you will be knocked out by what you didn't see the first time, the second time, the third time, the 50th time, however many years you've been doing it. <coughs> Dispensationalists, so they hold to passage priority, which the primary meaning of a passage is found in the passage at hand and not in other passages. Dispensation. Now, other passages can comment, can, full, can, can fill out, can, can illuminate, but they do not change it. They do not change it. Dispensationalists do not believe in the priority of one testament over the other, although the New Testament is more complete. They just ask that the integrity of each passage in each testament be honored without overriding its meaning with other passages. The New Testament will offer newer revelation, but it will not contradict or override the meaning of previous passages in the Old Testament. Dispensationalists, therefore, believe all Scripture harmonizes with all other Scripture. Yes, well, I hadn't prepared to do that. That's a great idea. But you know what happens when you get bombed with a question like that? And if you could look inside my head right now, you'd see this big blank chalkboard. <laughs> and every once in a while you hear screech where somebody, have you ever done the chalk thing? Yeah. All right. Who wants to, who wants to do that? Well, let's look at an Old Testament passage that is occasionally spiritualized. Does one come to mind in, in this group? I'm sure there are. I'll circle back to that. Yeah. No. No, yeah. Probably before the second millennium. Can I get back to you on that? Really? I'll be glad to do that. And I'll bring some. I'll bring some and we'll look at them. That's a great idea. I should have done that. I should have had some, some examples. Where was I before I was destroyed? Covenantalists also affirm a historical grammatical hermeneutic in many areas of Scripture. But they believe that typological and even spiritual hermeneutics need to be applied to some areas of Scripture, particularly passages involving physical and national promises to national Israel in the Old Testament. These are often used as shadows and are transcended by the greater New Testament realities, i.e. Jesus and the church. So, some of the land promises to Israel are transferred to the church or are spiritualized and looked at as as blessings that will be given to the church. The land promises were actual land promises. You don't, you can't spiritualize that because that is not given to us in the Old Testament text, nor is it anywhere in the New Testament given to us to spiritualize that. So in, in other words, when, when the promises were made to Abraham about the land that he would inherit, God told him to walk around it. Now, have you, I, don't do spiritual walks. When I want to go to the coffee shop, my I got to walk there. So Abraham walked around the land and pinpointed the land that God would give him. And you can't spiritualize that away as a blessing that the church will receive. It will happen. 
it will happen. Abraham and the millennial Jews, the, the Jews that come back to Christ, that trust Christ, they will be given that land. It will be their physical land. We, we, we forget that the future actually still holds a new, a new heavens and a new earth. This place is still it's going to be rebuilt, but it's going to have soil and plants and probably horses. Well, I, I'm making that up. I, it'd be really cool if it had horses. I don't need cats and dogs. I'm sorry. I, I don't. But horses would be okay. See, now, here I go. You've got to be careful of these people up here in front. So, was that helpful? That's only one. I'll come up with some others. Um, but I don't, want to, I don't want to just off the cuff because I don't want to misrepresent covenant theologians because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Boy, that was a smooth ex- exit, wasn't it? <laughs> so the covenantal hermeneutic is closely linked to the concept of New Testament priority um, in which the New Testament is used as a lens for interpreting and even reinterpreting Old Test- the Old Testament. This is the idea that the transition from Old Testament to the New Testament is a transition from shadow to reality. And in many cases it is, but not in every case. And not in every case. Adam, you could say, was a shadow of the next Adam. But he was a real man. And, and Jesus is the new Adam in many different ways. So, Often this approach will involve spiritualizing the Old Testament. One covenant theologian put it this way. If the New Testament writers spiritualized Old, spiritualized Old Testament prophecies by applying them in a non-literal sense, then the Old Testament passage must be seen in light of that New Testament interpretation and not vice versa. So they claim that when the, if the New Testament in their eyes reinterprets an Old Testament passage, then you must see it in the light of the New Testament itself. Dispensationalists say that the Old Testament passage has priority. Now, the New Testament passage may offer insight, may offer illumination, but it doesn't change the context or the, or the prediction of that Old Testament passage. So the lands do not become spiritualized. They are grounds. They are boundaries. They are national. It's a national Israel that is being talked about. Supposedly, once the concept of Israel, temple, find fulfillment in Jesus, one need not expect the literal fulfillment of these matters in the future. So there's another one. Um, the temple and the and Israel, Jesus is the true Israelite. And the things in the Old Testament that were to be given to the true Israelites supposedly find fulfillment in Jesus. Well, dispensationalists say that those predictions were made for people. And Jesus is the true Israelite, but they were made for people. future Israelites. To summarize, many of the differences between the two theologies concern how literal one should be with physical and national promises and covenants in the Old Testament. Dispensationalists view these as realities that need to be fulfilled if they have not been already. So some have been fulfilled, some have not. And they will be, because God promised Covenantalists often view these as shadows and types that are fulfilled in Jesus with no literal fulfillment of these matters being necessary. And I will mention some the next time I'm here. So those are the ideas behind the differences in hermeneutics. Dispensationalists take a pretty hard historical, grammatical, literal hermeneutic. And covenantalists adopt that with what's called a complementary hermeneutic. 
And the complementary hermeneutic is one that allows a spiritualization of certain Old Testament texts. And dispensationalists don't see that. Does that, is that clear? Do we understand the difference? Again, this is not to condemn or to belittle. It's just observation. This is observation. In this modern day, it seems like when I watch online, when people have a difference of opinion, they seem unable to have a difference of opinion and still be nice to one another. We were, <laughs> I tell you what, when I had a difference of opinion with my dad, I was still nice to him. Yeah. Even after he wasn't bigger than me anymore. Because it was pounded into us that back in those days. I don't know if it's a different generation, a different ethic. I don't know what's happened. But the differences are differences of, of not salvation substance. They are not differences of salvation substance. We've got to remember that. The most important things that the Scripture colors into our lives are things that covenantalists and dispensationalists wholeheartedly agree on. And that has got to be the basis of our relationship. The second major issue is the storyline. The second other major difference between dispensationalism and covenant theology deals with the Bible's storyline. The nature of the Old Testament promises and covenants, the identity and role of Israel and God's purposes with the, and the identity and role of the church, what has been fulfilled with Jesus at his first coming and what remains to be fulfilled in his second coming. So the two main storyline differences regard the nation of Israel's role in God's purposes, and number two, whether there will be a mediatorial kingdom phase to God's kingdom program on the earth after this present age, but before the eternal state. Covenantalists, and again, I'm trying to properly represent it. I know we have some in the church. They're blessed brothers and sisters. I'm just hoping I'm not misrepresenting anything. So they generally believe Jesus as the true Israel, and they believe that the Old Testament promises to national Israel in the Old Testament are shadows that find fulfillment in Him. They generally further believe that when believers become united in Christ, they join Israel as well. Thus, the concept of Israel expands to include Gentiles. This culminates in the church in Jesus being the new or true Israel. At this point, there would be no need for a restoration of national Israel since Jesus is the true Israel, and the church in Jesus is now Israel. That is the belief, one of their generalizations. They further recognize the not-yet aspect to Jesus' reign. They rely heavily on first-coming fulfillment of Old Testament promises and covenants. For most covenantalists, the Davidic millennial reign and the reign of the saints is occurring from heaven now, with us currently being in Jesus' messianic kingdom. I could go into multiple reasons why I think that's un untrue, but it's, it's something that I'm not going to hammer here. I just want us to be aware of that difference. They believe that the Davidic millennial reign is happening now. Further, most of them, not all of them, but most of them. Further, covenant promises from the Old Testament are currently being fulfilled, so there is no need of a future earthly reign of Jesus, since this age is the era of fulfillment and reigning. And if that's written up there as R-A-I-N, yeah, well, I use dragon, naturally speaking, because I type at the speed of a, of a dying turtle in a windstorm. And sometimes it doesn't hear the correct context, David. Sure, sure, I'm on four. Um, no, I'm on four E, four B, excuse me. I think you want to go. 
Let me look here. Uh, back up. 4B. Or dog. Yeah, D. I don't know where I'm at, but these guys do. See the raining? What do you think? That just, I, I, I want to fix it now, but I can't. So when you see me up here circling things, <laughs> now you know what I'm doing. Uh, I go over this, I read over this, I study it, and I still miss stuff. I used to be a, uh, one of those guys that check. Yeah. Number five. I got that right. Dispensationalists believe in and celebrate the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ and his role as the true Israelite, but this does not remove the significance of the nation of Israel. There's, they can both have wonderful significance. They both can. Isaiah 49, 3, 6 teaches that the true Israelite, Jesus of Messiah, involves a role of service for the nation. God's ancient plan for the nation Israel is to have a mission of service and leadership to the nations is outlined in Genesis 12, 2 and 3 and Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6. Nations will exist in the coming messianic millennial kingdom. If you look at Isaiah 19, 24, 25, it's, it's unmiss, it's, you can't miss it. Revelation 19.15, you can't miss it. It talks about nations existing. And thus Israel will have a role to the nations during this period of time under the headship of Jesus the Messiah. National Israel is still significant. The church does not supersede or replace Israel in God's plans. The church is the instrument for the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom in this age, but Israel will still have a role to the nations when Jesus returns to reign over the nations. In Revelation chapter 19.15 is one place we see that. The church in this age will also participate in Jesus' rule over the nations. Revelation 2.26-27 and 3.21. We won't be floating around on clouds with little crowns on our heads playing harps. That was actually a theology, I think, that was propagated by a song written by Esther Ruthoy. Um, a harp, was it a harp, a crown, a something, I can't remember what the words are, but we will be busy. For those of you who like to work, you're going to be busy. You're going to be, you're going to have things to do, places to go, people to see, contracts to sign. Well, maybe not contracts to sign. It will be a wonderful eternity. It won't be, it won't be a lazy eternity. It will be a busy Welcome, eternity. <laughs> Number six, different from covenantalists, dispensationalists do not believe the concept of Israel expands to include Gentiles. There's a difference here. The concept of the people of God expands to include believing Gentiles alongside believing Israelite. God's plan does not include that believers become Israel. There will be ethnic diversity in the people of God, since Israelites and Gentiles do not lose their ethnic identities, they're still called those things in Scripture after the second coming. Even in the eternal state, the people of God are referred to as the nations, Revelation 21, 24, and 26. That doesn't change. A key and important component of the Bible storyline, according to dispensationalism, is the coming earthly kingdom in which the last Adam and Messiah will rule the earth successfully for the glory of God. Adam was given the job of domination, of dominion and rule over the earth, and he failed. He failed miserably. And we all say, man, if I'd have been there, we'd have done the same thing. So put that out of our head. But the time will come when a successful rule of the earth will occur. 
A successful kingdom rule over the earth must occur. God gave that task to Adam and to mankind to rule the earth on his behalf in Genesis 1. Currently, that mandate remains unfulfilled. This is affirmed in Hebrews chapter 2. The coming earthly kingdom of Jesus will include a proper reign of the last Adam, Jesus, where the first Adam failed. This reign involves nations, and Israel will be used by the Lord Jesus Christ as an instrument for His kingdom rule during that time. The coming earthly kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus over the nations with Israel as an instrument of His ruling is essential to the dispensational understanding of the Bible storyline. It is a component of fulfillment that must happen a successful rule where the first one failed. And that is part of the beginning of eternity where, brothers and sisters, everything will be successful in giving glory to God. And it will be... It's hard for us to imagine because all of us have gone through good times and bad times. And that's kind of... We just kind of expect... That's our life story. And so that's what we expect in the eternal state, even maybe unconsciously. But that is not how it's going to be. It's going to be an eternity of blessedness. I can't imagine. I, I, I can't. I just don't have... I'm, I'm one of those guys that when I look at a set of building plans, I can't see the rooms. I see little drawings on a piece of paper. Really. I know my wife, bless her heart, she just she doesn't get frustrated with me. She just goes, well, that's what it's going to look like. It's going to... And there'll be this. And, and she, it, it leaps up into the air in her mind. And there's walls here and there's a cupboard there and the bed's there. And, and I go, this looks like cement to me. <laughs> Let me draw some lines on it. Okay, that's, where I, that's what I run into with this too. It's my sinfulness. I just, I, I know by faith it's going to be wonderful. But if, you, if I look at my track record, I go, how can it be? I'm going to be involved. <laughs> you know, at one time we were having... Troubles and years ago, we have a wonderful marriage now, but years ago we were having some issues and so we thought moving, that'd make the difference. So we moved to Tillamook, Oregon. There was only one problem. I went with us. <laughs> and so that's where I am. I, I look at these things and I say, Lord Jesus, I can hardly wait. And the older I get, the more I can hardly wait. Does that make sense? The more I can, the less I can, well, whatever the superlative is there, the adjective, but the more I can hardly wait. But I do enjoy being with you, brothers and sisters. So, you know, there's that. But it's going to be wonderful. And so dispensationalists see a role for Israel. They see a role for Israel and Jesus at the head of that. And then will come the eternal state. (coughs) So, before I go into the summary, are there any other questions that you want to bomb me out of the water with? Go right ahead. I'm good. Yes. The question is, how do the three covenants move into the rest of what we've talked about? Okay. Okay, so first understand is that those three covenants are dispensations. Uh, There's crossover in the theologies. There's crossover in the theologies. Because we would agree that there was a statement about redemption in Genesis chapter 3. And thus began a time when the perfect earth ceased. Now, dispensationalists have different dispensationalists that lead different periods of time. They go along and along and along, and we're currently in the dispensation of grace, the covenant of grace. Two different names for essentially the same concept. The difference comes in when we look at an Old Testament prediction about Israel and in the New Testament, 
there's a verse or a section of Scripture that illuminates that Old Testament prediction. And dispensationalists say, the promise is still made to Israel, and it will be fulfilled to Israel. There may be some addition, additional blessing to the church, but the promise that was made to Israel about the land, for example, will be fulfilled to Israel about the land. The covenantalist sees a spiritualization, many of them, see a spiritualization of that promise, and it is given to the church. The church takes the place of Israel. That's where the differences occur, in the hermeneutical understanding of how the Scripture plays out. So I'm trying to, this is the one, that, the best one that comes to mind. The land will be given back to Israel. It won't be a spiritualized blessing that will be given to the church. A Deuteronomy 28 blessing, if you will, that will be given to the church. It will actually be a physical plot of land that Abraham walked around that Israel will be given. That's one of the differences in, in hermeneutic. Okay. Does that help? Okay. So I got to do this from the fly. Jen Psaki would be ashamed of me, but um, is that how you pronounce your name? Psaki? I want to be fair. The covenant of, of, of redemption originated in Genesis 3. We would say dispensationalists would somewhat agree with that. Things changed, Jim. The agreement made within the Trinity prior to history. It was eternally made in eternity, in eternity past. Yeah, easy for me to say. Did you catch that? <laughs> Genesis chapter 3 talks is where, generally speaking, we will see that redemption is described, how redemption will occur. Jesus will subdue Satan, will, will destroy Satan. The covenant of works, again, um, is one that unfolds within the covenant of, of redemption. The covenant of grace, again, one that unfolds, as Jim pointed out, within the covenant of redemption. But they come at different times in Scripture. And they're, and, and the, the difficulty is, is that there's crossover. We believe that the, the time of, we believe in the Mosaic covenant, that it happened in a particular period of time. And the ceremonial portion of that was done away with by Jesus. So Titus chapter, 1 verse 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. So there, that's where the hermeneutic proceeds from. It's, it's another situation where it's a hermeneutic, but it doesn't seem to have the kind of basis we would look for in a literal understanding of Scripture. Or it should be kept in context. Walter Martin used to say, A text without a context is a pretext. Yeah, so... Um, Pretexts are hopefully something that dispensationalists will eschew. Here's a King James word for you. Yeah. If I said that to dragon, I don't know what would come out, you know. Boot. So, at any rate. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. I clearly haven't studied covenantalists as much as I need to, I guess. Uh, but Jim has. Any other questions before we look at the um, summary? So to summarize, the primary meaning of any Bible passage is found in that passage and the surrounding context. The New Testament does not reinterpret or transcend Old Testament passages in a way that overrides or cancels the original authorial intent of the Old Testament writers. So whatever the intent of that author was in the Old Testament, 
That stands. The New Testament may give flesh to it, may illuminate it, but it will not change it. It will not change it. This is, these are summaries of dispensational belief. Number two, types exist, but national Israel is not an inferior type that is superseded by the church. It is a different type. It is a different type. And, and we can look at the same thing with roles. Men and women are equal, but they have different roles. Their roles were prescribed from time immemorial past, and they have continued to this day. They are different, but they are not superior, inferior. Number three, Israel and the church are distinct. Thus, the church cannot rightly be identified as the new slash true Israel. Number four, spiritual, ident- uh, spiritual unity and salvation between Jews and Gentiles is compatible with a future functional role for Israel as a nation. Jews and Gentiles are being saved today, can be saved today, and in history past. But it doesn't change the role of Israel in the future. It simply adds to the, to, to the, believe, to the body of believers, the fixed body of believers. Number five, the nation Israel will be both saved and restored with a unique functional role in a future millennial kingdom upon the earth. And no, not every single Jew will be saved. It is a statement about the nation Israel. That, that nation will change its mind about the Messiah. If, if that's, if I can say it that way, it will, they will, ch- today they do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. National Israel does not. As a matter of fact, they think it's heresy and they don't like it at all. But there will come a time when they will, they will be regenerated. They will change their mind about that. Number f- six, there are multiple senses of the seed of Abraham, thus the church's identific- identification as seed of Abraham does not cancel God's promises to the believing Jewish seed of Abraham. Both of those exist. The church's identification as the seed of Abraham results in certain promises, certain blessings. But the Jewish, excuse me, the national Israel identification as the seed of Abraham, the believing Jewish seed of Abraham, has, a, has some other promises that they will be given after the second coming. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, Thank you for listening.